0: We are back, and you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. As Iran nuclear deal progresses, parties threaten to walk away. Vienna talks aimed at restoring the P5 plus one nuclear deal with Iran seem to have reached their obvious conclusion, with the details all pretty well worked out and success waiting to be had. If any side still wants it, what's really going on here? Well, for insight, we turn to our next guest. He's a co-host of the Left is Dead podcast. You can find that at the James Carey, as always, James, welcome back. Always a pleasure. So this came out of uh, antiwar.com and they, they write, it isn't clear anyone is going to end up being on board however, as multiple parties are now openly threatening to just walk away from the process, seemingly out of spite, as tensions and general acrimony trump the nearest of the deal everyone previously thought they wanted. James, I find this interesting from the United States side because Biden needs a success. And so it seems here that He's snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. James Carey.
1: Yeah, and again, I think Biden's problem, you know, we've talked about it before, is he has what seems like this almost shadow foreign policy shop like Anthony Blinken and uh, people who say things counter to what he says all the time. And I think that when it comes to Iran, uh, you have these, we say about Iran all the time, but we have these hardliners in the Biden administration who see themselves, you know, as someone who can't take a concession in a deal with Iran. I think they think Biden will look weak if he does things like lift the irrational sanctions put on by the Trump administration. So I think that in an effort to both reenter the JCPOA, but also still not look like you gave Iran anything. I don't know. You keep getting these tension points where every time we have talk, this is what happens. Right. I mean, how many times have we discussed this now? Um, the U.S. makes a demand, right, as we reach, a, you know, what seems like a tipping point, and then we're back at square one. So I think it, it is just a lot of the neocons in the Democratic Party now, since that's their party. Uh, they don't want to be seen as taking a loss to Iran, and genuinely, a lot of them probably ideologically don't want to take a loss to Iran.
2: Uh, James, do you think this has become really a four-year no uh, negotiating operation for all parties where, I mean, if uh, the way I look at it— If the Iranians continue to just negotiate for four years, nothing gets better, but nothing gets worse. And they can kind of play this thing out. And, you know, you go to Vienna, the meals are kind of nice. You got a nice view. So they go there, they kind of hang out and they just mark time for four years. And there's no, well, it didn't work out. So then Israel can say we must attack them. Meanwhile... Joe Biden doesn't have to face the neocons attacking him, saying you gave away everything to Iran. You're weak. And if he doesn't get back in, he doesn't have to face his his, his left flank attacking him, saying there's another promise. So to me, in a way, as I look at it, both all parties, as far as Biden and Iran, can negotiate this thing for four years, mark time and then uh, and then, you know, move on.
1: Yeah, that seems to be the intention. I mean, it, no sanctions have been lifted. You know, we have Trump left the deal in twenty sixteen, well twenty seventeen, and we know that you know none of the sanctions that Trump put on Iran were lifted. But that's not really covered in the United States media, obviously in mainstream media. Um, so yeah, you're you're probably right. There is this negotiating stage that goes on forever. Although I don't know, I'd want to stare at like John Kerry for four years. <laughs> but the Iranians are free too. Um, I think that there's just there's no willingness by the US because yeah again like this is the party of the neocons now right I mean these are the people who 20 years ago were saying well this year Baghdad next year Tehran and I think that they those people still operate on that they don't want to give anything to Iran and they're willing to play this game of negotiating for 4 years and the thing is the one thing that the United States can't do is guarantee that this deal will hold up when say Joe Biden is gone and I think that's what's really stalling the entire process and which makes it Almost oh, impossible because you have to write this deal into law you know, so it can't be reviewed by Congress or President. And I there's no guarantee that the Biden administration can make that someone won't just overturn this. You know, so Oh
0: really, well the Biden the Biden administration would not will not be able to get this deal
2: past Congress. They wouldn't even be able to get it past yeah. the Biden administration. They may not be <laughs> able they may
0: not be able to get the document that it's written on through Customs. It, right, I mean, yeah, right. To get it to get it to the floor of Congress for a vote.
1: Yeah, the printer won't allow
0: it. No, no, but, no, no. This yeah. file is not accepted from the from the source. Uh uh-uh. uh.
1: We saw that when the uh, Obama made the deal, there was all those accusations of oh, right. giving briefcases full of cash to the Iranians. You know.
0: Well, wait a minute. The so first thing—the first I, thing that was said. Congress wrote a letter to Iran. Tom Cotton. Yeah, that's right. Saying oh, yeah. no matter what our president says, we aren't doing this. So, <laughs> from the Iranian perspective. I don't believe that they were negotiating uh, in futility. I think they were actually trying to reach an agreement. But in their back pocket, they know they've got deals with, with with China, and they know they have deals with Russia, and they know they have deals with Russia and China, and they've got deals with Venezuela. Right. So they have in their back pocket a Trump card, no pun intended— that they are more than willing, ready, and able to play, and they can say, your your economic sanctions, as much as we would love for you to lift them, life will go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, they, You know, they've been doing it since 79. They've figured out a way to do most domestic production inside Iran. They have what they need. The social programs are, some of them are better than the United States, frankly. Um, <clears throat> so Iran, I don't think, will cease to exist. The issue is, you know, the, the shaking of the confidence here is, what does the U.S. do about its European partners? Currently, we're tearing up Ukraine, which was the hub for all of their natural gas and oil from Russia. And now we're going to scrap you know, this Iran deal where it's companies like Total from France are trying to get in on this. And they never managed to ramp up production to the levels they wanted during the original Iran deal. So I think that Iran, yeah, they'll be fine. They've managed to survive 60 years going their own way. I think they can... Continue to do so if need be, especially with China, as you said, rising as the other economic power. But I think Europe's going to cause the problem for the United States because, I'm sorry, you can't have Germans paying 800% of their heating bill, you know, an increase of 800% for the next 10 years while you build a pipeline somewhere else.
0: And and by the way, it was reported last week that the German gas reserves were down to their lowest point in history. I think they're down to like 35 percent in their gas reserves.
2: Uh, yeah. You know, James, um, I've read, I've been reading this morning that the Germans are having, you know, uh, 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 some concerns, as they say, you know, the day after the night before. They're looking back and saying, oh, my God, what have we done? Here's my question. In Damaging the Swift in going after uh, 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 the sovereign uh, uh, wealth front of Russia, haven't th- hasn't the West started started to kind of deteriorate their economic system in a way that Iran, Russia? india china now that all of these very large countries are going to move into they'll all be able to smoothly move into alternative systems that will allow their economies to start to kind of wake up and you know the ones who aren't you know really healthy to wake up and start to grow grow again as the u.s is kind of you know swallowing and and the west is kind of swallowing its own grenade
1: yeah i think with the way the u.s is now i mean you can almost view it as the, you know, the sick man of the European empires, right? Um, The U.S. is, you know, we've seen countries like Venezuela and the U.K. too. We've seen like Venezuela get their gold frozen in the U.K. We've seen money taken out of the Afghan treasury and like handed out to 9-11 victims for some reason here recently. Russia has been kicked out, you know, some of the banks kicked out of the SWIFT system. Um, I think you're going to see people moving away from the dollar and Previously, you know, that crime would be punishable by, say, like, ending up like Saddam. Mm. But the U.S. clearly has no power to exert that type of force anymore. So I think that there will be a new system of financial transactions and financial dealings in the eastern part of the world. And honestly, Europe will probably jump on board to some extent.
2: Uh, Can I add something else I think is important? In the way that the U.S. has reacted to this, in the way that the EU has reacted to this, in light of the hypocrisy of what they've done – in the past with Afghanistan, Libya, et cetera. It's going to be hard for them to do that again to another country. It's going to be hard for them to wake up tomorrow and say, country X has got weapons of mass destruction. Let's attack country X. It's going to make it more difficult for them to move forward in the way that they've done it before.
0: I, I Well, and 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 I would, James, I'd like for you to respond to that point with the example of what's going on right now between Russia and Crimea, because Joe Biden has been very clear we are not sending troops. We are we're not getting. You know we're not we're not shooting in this fight. And I I think that's an example, Garland, of what you've just what you've just laid out.
1: Well, you know, we saw this with Turkey and during the Syrian war when they shot down that Russian jet too. The same thing. Yeah, Obama, you know, you're on your own. You talk to Russia, and that did not work out well for the U.S. But the U.S. has no way to exert any influence over anything. And I think the issue with Ukraine is. Like I said, you know, we talk about the German gas prices, and you can't have this on the periphery of Europe for that long and expect to maintain the Western, you know, global power structure. You can't, again, you can't have Germans paying 800% the rate for their normal gas prices for 10 years while you build another pipeline. Um, There's nothing sustainable about this, and the danger is too close to, uh, you know, a certain shade of country. That It's not acceptable. Normally, like Turkey is a buffer between Syria or something like that. But now uh, the NATO conflict is really, you know, due to their own expansion, it has reached the point that it was always going to reach. But NATO and primarily the U.S. won't step in because there's no cohesion between any of the allies. And then the allies trust each other. Turkey's got the second largest land military. You think they're going to help us, you know, fight Russia? I don't think so. Not right now. So, yeah, I don't know that the U.S. has no power to exert anything like that militarily, but there has to be some type of solution because I don't think you can have this fire burning and, like like I said, the gas hub of Europe for a decade like you've had in Syria, even though Ukraine has already been torn apart by, what, eight years now of low-intensity civil war.
0: Started by the United States.
1: Oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> let's not forget that. I mean, we know who was handing out cookies. It was Victoria Nuland giving out chocolate chip cookies in the Maidan, right, you know.
0: I thought they were macaroon. Anyway, so how do you see this? Really, I have been saying that what we are witnessing now, and it seems as though President Putin was very astute in understanding the the endgame here. NATO is in the midst of collapse, and you might not you might not find that you go to Belgium and there's no more NATO headquarters, but in terms of, his, of its uh, effectiveness and in terms of its cohesion, it will cease to function. Maybe that's how I should phrase it. I think, It'll cease to function as it is functioning now.
1: I'd say it already has. I mean, like I said, Turkey is the perfect example. Remember, this is the largest, second largest NATO military and Where are they at with us? I mean, are they really friendly with us right now? They got kicked out of the F-35 deal for buying S-400s from Russia. Um, You've seen Macron in France call NATO brain dead. Uh, You've seen Germany, you know, at odds with the United States over things like the oil pipelines. And now you see European powers at odds with the United States over Iran. So if the U.S. keeps kicking its allies in NATO and then telling them, like, you know, hey, you have to help us expand and you have to help us put more pressure on Russia. I don't think they're going to keep going along with that because, like, I, as we said, there's no cohesion. There's no reason for cohesion there. Nobody has any investment in the system anymore because what the U.S. is supposed to uphold is falling apart, you know? And I think that the more it does that, the more people are going to look for an alternate system, whether it's Iran getting cyber weapons from China or whether it's someone as simple as the U.K. buying 5G technology from China for their cell phones. Uh, People are going to be turning east because the U.S. can't keep its end of the bargain anymore.
0: James Carey, as always, thank you so much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate that analysis, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you. Folks, you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon. I'm joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned.